Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11 within God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 11 within God's Word. God be my witness. I did not realize that uh, those, I completely forgot the color suit that those guys wore in the lake. <laughs> There is no secret message here this morning with me wearing my summer suit. I completely forgot that crazy video uh, that they put together, Pastor Ryan and Pastor Ben. And uh, again, check out that opportunity. For the umpteenth time, she came to her pastor. This wife consistently, continually came to her pastor asking for advice, asking for counsel, asking for prayer with her ornery husband. And for the upteenth time she had come to her pastor, this time she said, I'm so discouraged. He said, what are you discouraged about? My husband says he's going to kill me if I keep coming to your church. The pastor tired of hearing this wife with the same old discouraging line over and over and over again. Pastor looked her in the eye and said, yes, yes, my child. I will continue to pray for you. Now, have faith. Have faith. The Lord will watch over you. Oh yes, oh yes, the Lord has kept me safe uh, 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 thus far. Only, only what, my child? This time he says, if I keep coming to your church, he's going to kill you. Pastor staggered back. Well now, <laughs> perhaps it's time you check out that little church on the other side of town. Discouragement. Discouragement. What can we say about it? Discouragement, it's the mother of dreadful despair. It's the mother of doubt, depression, and defeat. And that's just for starters. Read the biblical record of the heroes of the faith that grappled and wrestled with discouragement. Job was so discouraged over the loss of his finances, his health, his children, that he cursed the day that he was born. Rachel, the wife of Jacob, was so discouraged about her inability to have children, she looked at her husband and said, Give me a child, or I will die. Moses Pastor Moses was so discouraged over the congregation that he had to pastor for 40 years in the wilderness. The church of first complaint, those moaners and groaners, that he cried out to the Lord, God, just kill me. I can't take these people any longer. Of course, I've never prayed that. Never. David's David's, read the account in 1 Samuel 18, David's men were so discouraged when they came back home and discovered that all of their homes had been robbed, all of their wives and children, including David's, had been kidnapped, that 
His men were so discouraged, they began talking about stoning David to death. Elijah. Elijah, the, the prophet that could pray down rain or pray for drought, and it happened. The prophet that could pray and fire would come down and consume the sacrifice. Elijah became so discouraged because Queen Jezebel was out for his life. Elijah laid down and told God, I want to die. Just kill me. And he had suicidal thoughts and feelings. I've never ever met a person who has not been discouraged at one time or another. Even the spiritual giants of God's word, uh, the superheroes of the faith, grappled with seasons, dreadful seasons of discouragement. Discouragement, think of it, it's ruined promising careers. It's ruined businesses. It's dealt the death blow to love and to marriage and the peace of a home. Discouragement has shattered more dreams, more plans, more vision than we can care to enumerate. Uh, discouragement has destroyed more ministries and more congregations than I can count. It's even caused the countless deaths of millions as they've decided in the valley of discouragement to end their lives. Would you agree with me? Discouragement can become more dreadful and more confining than a prison. Discouragement has the ability to be stronger than the steel bars of any dungeon. Yet I come to this pulpit this morning with some good news. Have you come to church to hear some good news? Amen. I come to you with good news. I come to you this morning declaring there's escape from discouragement dungeon. There's escape from discouragement dungeon. Let's pray this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, come, sweet Holy Spirit. Lord, we're thankful that you are the glory and the lifter of our head. And discouragement does not need to be the epitaph on our life. That, Lord, there's escape from this death-dealing blow of the enemy of our soul. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen and amen. Write it down. Who did Jesus say was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets? Who was the greatest? Not Elijah, not Jeremiah, not Isaiah, not even Moses. Who was the greatest? Write it down. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 11, truly of all men ever born, none shines more brightly than John the Baptist. Think of his credentials. John the Baptist had a miraculous birth. His mother was unable to have children. And here she was in her old age. And God brought a miracle. Her and Zacharias, Elizabeth and Zacharias, conceived. And she had a baby in her womb. 
But more than that, the Bible says that the baby within her womb, John the Baptist, became filled with the Holy Spirit uh, while he was still unborn in his mother's womb. He became a rugged outdoorsman. I call him the field and stream prophet. He lived outside. He ministered outside. Uh, his congregation uh, heard him preach in the desert places and uh, by rivers and streams because he came preaching revival, a revival of repentance, and he demonstrated this spirit of repentance with what? Water baptism. Have you been water baptized, by the way? I want you to know that it's a command of Jesus and not just a suggestion. I want you to know that Jesus said, repent, believe, and be water baptized. I would not want to go to heaven and hang my head in shame that I had not followed the command of Jesus Christ with water baptism. Water baptism is more than a ritual. It is a reality. It is an outward demonstration of an inward work of God the Holy Spirit uh, immersing you in the person and the presence of Jesus Christ. When you go under the water, if Pastor Hal was ba baptizing you, uh, if you went under the water, if Pastor Hal kept you under the water, what would happen to you? You would die. That's right. Going under the water represents death. Coming out of the water represents resurrection. New life. Uh, you are identifying uh, with Jesus Christ. You're becoming one with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You're testifying to the world that you're born again. Uh, you're not what you used to be, and you're not yet what you're going to be, and you're on your way to heaven. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Water baptism is a powerful ministry. It's a powerful sacrament in any church. You need to be water baptized. Next month, we're having an outdoor water baptismal service on a Wednesday night at Stony Creek Lake. If you haven't been water baptized, now's your time. And I have found, I have found, even though it's an outward act, there's an inward blessing that comes as we follow through in obedience and faith to our Lord's command. John the Baptist, he, his main ministry was water baptism. His main ministry was a message of repentance. And his main theme was this, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Uh, I've come to prepare the way for Messiah. Matthew 3 verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he came preaching that the Messiah was coming. And one glorious day, John met Messiah. John 1, 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Remember what John said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John even declared that he was able to spot and identify the Messiah because God told him 
how he would know that he would know that he would know that this is the Messiah. Do you remember what God told him? Do you remember the divine revelation that John the Baptist had? It's found in John 1.32. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Who's the him here? Jesus, I did not know him, but he who sent me, God, who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is the Messiah. When John saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus, he knew proof positive Jesus was the Messiah. Look at verse 34. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Here's my test question. Did John have any doubt whatsoever at this time that Jesus was the Son of God? Did he have any doubt at all? No. Again, John 1.34, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. There was no doubt whatsoever. He saw the Holy Spirit descend upon the head of Jesus like a dove. Jesus fulfilled all the selection criteria of the Messiah. Write it down with me. John the Baptist Bold, fearless preaching of repentance eventually even burned the ears of King Herod the Tetrarch. Who is King Herod the Tetrarch? Is this the same Herod from the Christmas story? Yes or no? No. The King Herod from the Christmas story was the paranoid homicidal maniac Herod the Great. The father of the Herod we're talking about right now. Tetrarch, Tetrarch, a fancy way of saying one quarter. Say one quarter with me. One quarter. King Herod the Tetrarch ruled over one quarter of the territory that his father had ruled over. He was a puppet of Rome. He had to do Rome's bidding. He was an agent of the government, the powers of Rome, the emperor. He made a visit, the Bible and history tells us, to the city of Rome to visit his brother Philip. Herod the Tetrarch visiting his brother Philip. For those of you that enjoy soap operas, for those of you that enjoy, you know, uh, as grains of sand in the hourglass of our lives, as the stomach turns, Herod the Tetrarch went to visit his brother in Rome. While there, he fell in love with Philip's wife, his sister-in-law. They had, they had a fling, an affair, and they ran off together. Herod left his wife in Rome 
Herodias, the wife of Philip, left her hubby Philip in Rome, and they came back to Palestine, to Jerusalem. Soap operas are nothing new. Peyton Place is nothing new. It's right here in your Bible. And one day, Herod and the woman that he was living in sin with, Herodias, invite uh, this preacher, the Billy Graham of the day, John the Baptist, to come to the palace and entertain them. So John the Baptist gets an invitation to the White House of his day, an invitation to entertain the royalty. Do you think that's what John the Baptist did? The king and Herodias expected John to kiss their feet. Do you think that's what he did? When John the Baptist preached, I want you to know he didn't whitewash his message. He didn't give a feel-good uh, sermon. He didn't preach, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, we're all going to heaven. Did he preach that? He preached God's word, Matthew 14. Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Short, sweet, to the point. And John must have known it, that when he preached that word, he had just spoken his death sentence. For though Herod listened intently with a smug smirk upon his face, Herodias, Herodias was intent on having John's head upon a plate, which she eventually did. Fill in the blank with me. At Herodias' urging, Herod imprisoned John the Baptist for preaching uh, that Herod and Herodias were guilty of adultery. What must it have been like to be in a dungeon of Herod? Historically, archaeologically speaking, we know exactly where John the Baptist was held at the Macarus dungeon. It was Herod's hell hole. Imagine being surrounded by inquisitive rats, rodents, roaches of all kind. Imagine being fed bread and water once a day only. You're just barely kept alive. You're kept alive in pain and suffering. Months went by, the solitary confinement was killing this outdoorsman, this field and stream prophet who was used to the sun in his face, the wind in his hair. He was used to the outdoors life. The solitary confinement was crushing his spirit. And besides the rats, the rodents, and the roaches, discouragement found its way into that dungeon. And in desperation, John the Baptist, who had seen the Holy Spirit descend like a dove upon the head of Jesus. John the Baptist, who had said, Behold, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist, 
Baptist that had borne witness that Jesus is the Son of God, this same John the Baptist, in discouragement dungeon, sends a message to Jesus saying this, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Do you see the why question there that so many of us have gone through? If you're really the Son of God, why am I still in solitary confinement in Herod's hell hole? Do you see the doubt? Do you see the discouragement? Discouragement will do that to you. How many of you like garage sales? Huh? Come on, be honest. This is church. Don't you dare walk out here without raising your hand up if you really do like garage sales. Oh, yeah. My wife and my daughters, my, my, my. If Walmart wasn't enough, they're always bringing something home from shopping at Salvation Army or Goodwill. And this season of the year, it's garage sales and rummage sales. And then Becky loves putting on garage sales. And I come home and I'm looking for a tool. I'm looking for something to work on the lawn. And I'll say, where's my weed whacker? What did you do? I sold it. I got $10 for it. I paid $150 for it. It's like new. Craftsman. It was said that the devil put on a garage sale. He had all his tools, well-worn tools, out on display. There was lying, lust, Anger, hate, they all had a price tag on them. Satan's tools, devices to bring souls down and destroy them. But one tool, and I've learned to do this, one tool had a tag on it, this is not for sale. It was a very well-worn tool. And the enemy was asked, why are all of your other tools for sale, but not this one? What is this tool? Old Slewfoot said, ah, I can spare all these other tools. I, I can go ahead and sell them. But as he picked up the well-worn, wedged-shaped tool, he said, this one I cannot do without. That's why it's not for sale. With this tool, I can open up an opening. I can pry an opening into a man or a woman's heart, into their very soul. And once I create that opening, I can put anything in there I desire. What tool is this? This is discouragement. 
And that's what discouragement does to it. It opens us up. It'll open you up to fear. It'll open you up to sleepless nights. It'll open you up to feeling like a loser, a failure, a lousy parent. It'll open you up to evil devices. We've all felt the bite of the devil's wedge of steel called discouragement. Perhaps I'm talking to a soul this morning. You're plagued by the spirit of discouragement whispering in your ear that you're no good, you're unworthy, you're a loser, you're a failure, robbing you of hope, robbing you of joy, paralyzing you with sleepless nights and fear. And what's the worst thing about discouragement? The worst thing about a season of discouragement is not the sense of failure, loss, loneliness, or hopelessness. I, I submit to you that the worst thing about discouragement is the doubt. The doubt of not only God's power, but the doubt of God's love. Are you the one? Or should we look for someone else? We end up doubting God. And just as long as you doubt God, just that long, you short-circuit anything that God can do in your life. You short-circuit the miraculous. You short-circuit the provision, the life, and the victory of the Almighty in your situation. Excuse me. Are you experiencing a season of discouragement? Well, I want you to know the doctor's in the house. I said the doctor is in the house. And I'm not talking about Dr. Phil. I'm talking about Dr. Jesus. And he has a remedy. He has a cure. He has a prescription for discouragement. Oh, I love being in this service. There is, there is no service like this service. My, my, that last one I was in, wow, they were a tough crowd. Dr. Jesus is in the house. Jesus' cure for John the Baptist's discouragement was focused on God and his works instead of what the enemy is doing. Jesus said in Matthew 11, go back to John and tell him about the miracles you've seen uh, me do. Blind people I've healed. The lame are walking. Uh, the, the, the lepers are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised alive. Tell about my preaching the good news to the poor. Then give him this message. Blessed are those who don't doubt me. Jesus wanted John to change his focus. Jesus wanted John to focus on our God who will not and cannot fail us. Uh, no matter what discouraging season that you're going through right now, quit looking at what you don't have and start thanking the Lord for what you do have. Uh, quit taking inventory of everything that's wrong in your life and start thanking God for everything that's right. Hallelujah! Look at what the Lord has done. Look at what the Lord is doing. That's what Jesus wanted John to see.
I can remember for years, Pastor Hal would lead us in a chorus of praise and worship here at Lakeside. Look at what the Lord has done. Oh, it's been just ringing through my spirit all week. Look at what the Lord has done. Look at what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I'm going to praise his name. Each day is just the same. Come on and praise him. Look at what the Lord has done. Oh, a sure cure for discouragement. Run to the roar of the giant of discouragement. Fill in the blank by declaring God's promises. Declaring God's promises. Do you know the promises in his word? A businessman came to his pastor and said, I'm losing everything. I've mortgaged my house. I've invested everything that I've ever earned in this life into my business. It's going belly up. I owe everybody everything. And I've had suicidal thoughts. You're my last resort, Pastor. The pastor said, I want you to do this. Get your Bible. Get your beach chair. And go to the beach. Sit down in that beach chair. Take out your Bible. Let the sea breezes rustle through the pages. Once your pages stop stirring, put your finger down and look at the word of the Lord for your situation and your life. Wait till I tell the end of the story. We'll see if you're clapping then. <laughs> a year later, the businessman comes back. He drives up in a brand new BMW, custom tailored suit. Uh, he brings the wife and kids. Uh, she's wearing a shiny brand new fur mink. The kids are shining brightly there at their side. Uh, the businessman takes out a white envelope stuffed with cash and says, Pastor, here's a donation to the church. Uh, the pastor is just in awe. He said, this is incredible. Tell me, I'm curious. Did you do what I say? Did you take your Bible to the beach? Yes. Did you take the beach chair? Yes. Did you sit in the beach chair? Yes. Did you let the wind rustle through the pages of the Holy Scripture? Yes. Did you put your finger down on where the pages stopped stirring? Yes. What did the Bible say? What was God's word to you? He said, I put my finger down, Pastor, and put it right down there, and it said, Chapter 11. So I filed bankruptcy. Now, I don't think that's what God wants you or I to do. That is not the word of the Lord or the promises of Holy Writ that I'm referring to here this morning. What are the promises of God? My Bible and your Bible says that all the promises of God are yea and amen to those who are in Christ Jesus. How many here this morning are in Christ Jesus? You're in Christ. If you don't raise your hand, I'll make an appointment with you. Okay. I'll know who to preach to in the end. 
All the promises of God are yea and amen to those who are in Christ Jesus. One Christian enumerated the promises of God located in the Bible and came up with 3,000 promises. Another one tabulated 7,000 promises. Oh, I know there are thousands upon thousands of promises to the born-again, Bible-believing, blood-washed, demon-fighting soldier of the cross, the follower of Jesus Christ. Thousands of promises that you can lay claim to within God's word. It's not enough to believe those promises. It's not enough to read those promises. It's not enough to memorize, meditate, and study those promises. It's not enough to receive those promises. I taught it just Wednesday night in my class. Honey, sir, ma'am, you need to release those promises. You need to release those promises. There is power in your declaration. There is power in your proclamation. There's something about getting it in your spirit, transcribing it in your brain, and releasing it out of your mouth. The Bible says that with a man's heart, we believe and we are justified. And with our mouth, we confess that Jesus is Lord and we are saved. Think of it. Through your confession, you're born again. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. What are you confessing? Are you confessing the discouraging, death-dealing, doubt-ridden words of the enemy? Are you going through day after day saying, nothing ever good ever happens to me? Other people are born under a lucky star, but not me. I always come at the short end of the stick. I'm a nobody. Nothing good will ever come my way. You got it. You said it. You believe it. And that's going to settle it. I don't know about you. I want to go through life uh, declaring that my God is God. And he's on the throne and everything's going to be all right. I want to speak the positive, God's restorative, life-giving, joy on victorious words. I've always wondered as a pastor, what would it be like to fill, to fill, to fill God's holy room with the power of faith-talking, faith-speaking, God-blessing, promise-filled confession? How many know at least one promise from God's word? Raise your hand. How many of you know at least one promise from God's word? Okay, you can put your hands down right now. Then somebody, somebody, a lot of hands were lifted up. Somebody out there, give me a promise from God's word. You've got to lift your hand up first so I can recognize you. Eugenia, I will never leave you or forsake you. Somebody else. Don. Hallelujah. Somebody else. J.D. He'll supply all of our needs. Amen. Sheila. Say it again. I am a child of the Most High God. You're going to have to speak up. The hearing's starting to go. Amen. Anne Marie. All of our diseases. Amen. Somebody else. Gail. But joy cometh in the morning. Amen. Somebody else. Give me a word. Kathy. 
By his stripes I am healed. Amen. Amen. Rita. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Anybody up there in the balcony, you're closer to heaven. You should be more godly. John. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Derek. Hallelujah, the Lion of Judah who breaks every chain. Amen. Do you sense victory growing in this place? Amen. Colleen. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Amen. Somebody else that hasn't given one. Praise the Lord. Scott. Amen. Lori. There's hope for tomorrow. Amen. Diana. My grace is sufficient for you. Praise the Lord. Ronnie. If God be for me, who can be against me? Amen. One of my favorites. Praise the Lord. Where are the men in this church? Man, mostly the gals. Only the gals read the Bible? My, my, my. David. Praise the Lord, one of our Detroit police officers. Hallelujah. He knows the word of God. That's greater than the gun that he carries. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yes. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Another man. He shall direct your path. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Elizabeth. Without him, I can do nothing, but with him, all things are possible to them that believes. Let's give God all the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If I let you keep going, this whole place will get raptured. Amen. Write it down. Discouragement can't survive in a thankful heart. Discouragement can't survive in a thankful heart. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything, in everything, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I want you to remember Paul wrote most of your New Testament while he was in prison, while he was chained to a soldier. Yet... His letters to the church are brimming over with thanksgiving. He says, in everything, give thanks. Why does he say, in everything, give thanks? Why not, for everything, give thanks? Because we don't thank God for our problems. Rather, we're called to keep thanking God in spite of our problems. Thanksgiving opens the door to the presence and the power of the Almighty in our lives. Thanksgiving gets our focus off of our problems onto our problem solver. We often count our blessings on our fingertips and our problems on our calculators. Thanksgiving is giving praise to God for who He is, for what He has done, for what He is doing. And here's the real power of it. Thanksgiving finds its ultimate victory when we thank the Lord for what He will 
do by praising the Lord in advance for the victory. Thanksgiving will cause your faith level to rise until you see God upon the throne and you're able to declare cancer does not rule, bankruptcy does not reign, my God is upon the throne, my Lord omnipotent reigneth on high, God is upon the throne, and everything's going to be all right. With God, all things are possible. And that's what a faith-filled thanksgiving spirit will do in your life and my life. What was John the Baptist, what was his end? What was his end? Jesus said there was no greater prophet ever in the Old Testament. What was his end? Sometimes the end is not what we expect. John the Baptist lost his head, but he didn't. Here's the victory. Here's the victory. Here the, here's the victory. Don't miss out on it. He lost his head, but he didn't lose his faith. In the final bottom line of all things, and all things, no matter what you go through, if you don't throw in the towel, if you don't choose to go A-W-O-L, if you choose to keep your head held up high, if you choose to keep anchored in the promises of God, which are yea and amen in Christ Jesus, if you choose to declare, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, if you choose to remain faithful unto the end, cancer has not won its victory. Disease has not won its victory. Old age, death has not won the victory. Faith wins the victory. John the Baptist did not get an Olympic gold medal. He didn't get an Oscar uh, at the Oscar award ceremony. He did not receive, he did not receive uh, the medal of honor by the United States president. What he did receive as he walked through the gates of glory was the applause of heaven. Because the accolades and the applause of men, <laughs> they matter nothing in this world. What really matters on that day of days, will you receive the accolades, the applause of heaven? And then our Father said, My son, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and enter in to the joy of the Lord. You and I have a choice. We can remain bound up with doubt, fear, despair in the dungeon of discouragement. Or despite our environment, despite our pain, despite the reversals of life, we can lift up our hands and declare, my God is God, and there is none other, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There's someone that attends this church that over a year ago, if you would have told me what I'm about to share with you, I, I, I'd say, no way, no way. In my wildest dreams, this person could not be this way. I mean, she's a girl 
than the natural. I, I would never want to cross. But she's gone through a season of disease. Stage three, breast cancer. And in the past six plus months, I, I have seen just a whole brand new person emerge. I've shared with many of you before how every night I get text messages. I get 10 plus text messages. My droid, I mean, it whistles like a bird singing in the morning. All those text messages coming through. And every text message is a promise from the Bible. Every text message is thanking the Lord for what He will do. Every text message is one of hope, one of positive, positivity, God confidence in what the Lord has done, what the Lord is doing, and what God will do. It's a shout of victory before the walls of Jericho come crashing down. Until this last text message, it's always been one of thanking the Lord for what He will do. I just got a text message for what the Lord has done. What the Lord has done. I want to show this on the screen to you right now. I showed it to my class Wednesday night. Psalms 120. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to Him and He answered my prayer, she wrote. Psalms 145 verse 13. The Lord is faithful to all His promises, she wrote. Deuteronomy 7, 9. The Lord your God is God, the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations. Do you see how she's confessing, declaring God's Word? I remind you, God's Word is an anointed Word. It's a power Word. It must, it must transact kingdom business when you release it from your mouth. Then she wrote, Most Wonderful, amazing spectacular news ever I am blessed and have God's favor no lymph node involvement the original spot is gone I am cancer free thank you Jesus forever I will praise your name text messages from Lynn Short a faithful member here at Lakeside Assembly of God I ask you this morning in closing, will you praise Him? Will you thank Him even before the miracle comes? Uh, will you be that one who says like Lynn Short, I'm not going to wait and see the test results. I'm going to thank Him now. Uh, I'm gonna, not going to wait until the pain goes away. I'm going to praise Him right now. Uh, I'm thanking you right now, Lord. I'm not going to wait for my financial situation to turn around. Lord, I'm going to lift up my hands and declare your promises right now that I'm the head and not the tail that you give the power to get wealth that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory I'm not gonna wait I'm not gonna wait until I understand the why question Lord I'm gonna be faithful to lift up my head to lift up my voice and to praise you thank you right now for God you're my glory and in every dungeon of discouragement you're my glory and the lifter 
of my head. Would you stand to your feet with me right now in the name of Jesus for the dungeon of discouragement. I declare to you there's escape. In fact, there's victory in the name of Jesus. Sing it with us right now. You're my glory and the lifter. You're my glory and the lifter of my Come, O Holy Spirit, and minister, Lord, not just the power of God, but the love, the person, the presence of the Almighty. How many of you, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you would say, Pastor, Pastor, I've been going through a season of discouragement. I've been wrestling with a dungeon of discouragement. And I'm here this morning to receive from Dr. Jesus. I know all about discouragement. It's a battle. And perhaps that's you this morning. I want to especially pray for you this morning. How many are wrestling with a season of discouragement right now? You're being attacked by the devil's tool of discouragement. Lift up your hand. Lift it up. That's right. That's right. That's right. So many. So many. So many. Yes. 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 So many. Amen. 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 I want to invite you. I don't force you. I want to invite you to join me down here at this altar. I've been there. I know all about it. Would you come right now as we sing it? I've been there. Yeah. 